Radio Network. Welcome to Front Row Material! It's not for everyone! With Jerry Lynn! And I am going to blow you. Excuse me? And Mikey Whiprack! Out of the water. Here's your host, Mike Freeland! Welcome to Front Row Material with ECW legends Mikey Whipwreck and Jerry Lynn and their designated driver and host, Mike Freeland. How's it going, guys? If he's our designated driver, I'm calling Uber for a refund. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Matt, it is good to have you on here. We've been talking back and forth and wanting to get you to stop on by. Thanks for carving out some time, man. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. It's weird. Um, It might be the very bottom of your podcast to invite to interview a podcaster. I think this might be it for you guys. But listen, if this is the bottom of our podcast, you're not that far from the top. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all good. You know what? Speaking of top and bottom, you will love what Blue Chew can do for you. Guys, all you got to do is go to bluechew.com. You can go ahead and get your first order for free by using promo code ECW. That's right. Go ahead, use ECW. Get your first shipment for free. All you got to do is go online, answer a few questions. And some of the great stuff about Blue Chew is you can either take it on a full stomach or an empty stomach. So before you uh, decide to start to uh, get a little kinky, you might want to have a little something to eat to give you some energy. But if you decide you don't want to, you're still ready to go. That's bluechew.com. And Jerry, uh, have you... Oh, I was going to say, and filling out the, you know, the, the, the so-called paperwork is easy, like me and Mikey. All you got to do is answer a few questions. The Blue Chew is, uh, is very discreetly packaged and shipped to your place, so no one knows that you're actually going to use some enhancement. But you know what? If you do need that extra push, no pun intended, Blue Chew has your back. You know, it's pretty ironic that Blue Chew sends you a discreet package because after taking bluechew.com, there's nothing discreet <laughs> about the package. This is true. It's not. Even coming from a white Irish guy, I'm telling you. Now, Matt, I, I've asked the guys this question before, and they, and they have, have said that I think Mikey has said he has. Jerry said he hasn't. H- have you ever heard any stories about the baby arm? Oh, oh for fuck's sake. You talking about Ric Flair? Yes, I am. I, I, just the stories that, that Tony's told. Okay. Oh, I have, I, I have heard another story um, that may have not been out there, if you want to hear it. Would you like to put it out there? Sure. Well, it's come secondhand. It comes from Bruce um, Pritchard. Okay. Um, when they were traveling, Ric Flair was at the baggage claim, and somehow he worked a deal where he got back there. So when the baggage claim started moving, Ric Flair was laying on the baggage claim, completely erect, completely naked, with a balloon tied to it. <laughs> what? Is there helium in the balloon? Yes. Oh, my God. That just made Mike's day. It's not amazing. That's insane. He's asking about. He's been asking about baby arm stories forever. Well, hold on a second, because they're so legendary. Well, I'm starting to think his marriage is a farce. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey! Come on now. Talk, talking about that baby arm so much. I haven't brought up Two Cold Scorpio in a while. So we haven't asked you, Mike. Are you a bottom? 
Man, Matt, it is so good to have you here. <laughs> Shit, man, we are we are burning the oil here. We don't want to waste your time. Let's get right into it. Sure. Your host with the most, Mr. Mike Freeland. So I do, uh, for me, as a podcaster who's just basically a fan, I'm basically a fan who who found his way sometimes to the other side of the curtain and then usually still has to pay to get in. But I have two ECW legends here. And I have a question I just dying to ask each one of you. Technically, maybe not philosophically, maybe not, you know, in your mind, but technically, how much, if any, does Paul Heyman owe you dollars-wise in your mind right now? A lot. Like if you, there's not a number in your head. Uh, mine would probably be between 50 and 75,000. It's probably about the same for me too. And Jerry, when you saw like uh, Paul come out on raw, was that, was that a surprise to you? No, actually no. And you know, he always, you know, in the meetings and stuff when he, our checks weren't going to be there and, and he would swear up and down, I have never taken a check from this company. I'm thinking, yeah, but that, you know, the, the gimmick bag got thinner and thinner as it passed around with all the cash in it. So, <laughs> but uh, I figured the whole time he was on Vince's payroll anyway. Was it just a matter like of him being just a creative guy? Like I'm a creative guy who owns a business and I'm not very good at owning the business. Um, is it just a matter of maybe him being the creative guy who's not maybe organized enough or doesn't have the business mind enough to make the money as opposed to uh, ECW not being successful? I think that's a big part of it, but it also was uh, WCW and WWF kept doing talent raids and Pauly was forced to sign people to bigger money to try and keep them, but it wasn't there. Well, that's her, that makes I mean, he did have enough money. Uh, he did not have enough money to to keep the great Mikey Whipwreck, who was signed away by WCW, right, Mikey? Yeah, but that was before he got that influx of video game money, right, and and things like that. So, so when you were there, I, I guess you were there when Todd Gordon was there too, right? Yep. So when Todd was there, did things run better because he was more of a business guy? Because as an outsider, that's kind of my perception that Todd was the business guy. Yeah, I think so. Paul's strong suit was not keeping banking records. I mean, he'd, he'd have a, a duffel bag full of receipts, wrinkled and crumpled up, and uh, you know, numbers written down on napkins and things like that. Wow. Hey, Jerry, I got, I got another question for you, just ran because I have Jerry Lynn. I just have to ask these questions. Uh, was it ever bothersome to you to have that whistle blowing all the time during your matches with RVD? Yes. There was quite a few matches where I would ask Fonzie before the match. I'd say, can we take it easy on the whistle tonight? <laughs> so it did drive me nuts. As a fan, it makes it, yeah, I don't know if you've thought about this, but it makes it a hard rewatch. You know, like when I'm watching with my son and I'm like, dude, and for real, this is maybe two or three years ago, you got to check out RVD Jerry Lynn. And it makes it less watchable, all the whistling. Was that something maybe you were conscious that it didn't come off as good with all the whistling? Well, if it drove me nuts, I did wonder... Does it affect the fans? And then over the years, there have been a lot of fans say that they love the match, but they can't stand that whistle when they rewatch it. Well, it's still, I mean, the matches are still great. But uh, Mikey, you guys weren't at ECW together a long time, right? You guys were there a little bit when Jerry first got there and then towards the end, right? Yeah, Jerry's, what did you start, Jerry? Like, 
fall of like 97? Yeah, fall of 97. And I left it in, the, in November, December of 98. Yeah, when we were supposed to have the, the triple, triple angle with you and Lance and I. I still thought it would have been great. I think it would have too. One, one year later, if I hadn't come back in Philly in, in October... If you guys had a match at Guilty as Charged and I just showed up and said, sorry, I'm late. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. You know, we had, what, we had about, maybe what, two years, two and a half years together with a break yeah. in the middle. Yeah. I went on my paid vacation. How dare you leave and go make a good paycheck? I know. Well, Lance told me to go. I don't blame you. I would have told you to go, too. <laughs> Lance, don't stay on my account. I said, oh, don't worry, I won't. <laughs> Jerry, were you like at a point where you um, had a taste of what WCW was about? Maybe you didn't think you'd be appreciated no matter what, so you were not really fielding offers, or was, was there no interest in you at the time when Mike well, was signed away? Actually, uh, one day, Paulie pulled me aside, and I don't know, I can't remember how it all went down, but he basically asked me if I would re-sign for I don't know what it was for like three years or something like that. And I said, how about five years? You know, I was still hoping that the money would, you know, start rolling in. And he said, okay. So we had an agreement and whatever. And then not long after that, it was probably only a week later, DDP calls me up saying, yeah, Bischoff wants to know if uh, you'd be interested in coming back to WCW. And I just told DDP, I just said, I just re-signed with ECW, and that was it. So I figure that someone gave Paul Lee the Iggy that they were interested, and he quick went and did that. Now, as soon as I had a check that wasn't there, of course, the contract was null and void, and I could have probably called him back and went back. But after that first time there, I had no interest in going back. I think for a lot of us at the time... Um, when Jerry Lynn, when you were, when it was hurt, when it was found out that you were going to WWE, I think me and my friends were like, well, that's it for ECW. Like, because you were such a big part of the ECW at that time. Did you feel a responsibility to stay to kind of help the company out? Or were you just so burned at the time that you're just like, no, I, I stayed there until it was done. Until that last show and wherever, where was that last show, Mikey? I wasn't there. I wasn't either. I knew it was done. Arkansas somewhere, I think. I knew it was done when they had the show and they didn't even, or was it was a two-show loop, then they didn't even send me a plane ticket or nothing. So I, I knew it was done. So that, then I got on the horn with Jim Ross. So uh, quick quick questions. Just I just want to see how well you guys know each other. Like um, Jerry, Mikey was the ECW tag team champion a couple times. He had two different partners. Do you know who those partners were? I want to say, well, Tajiri and Mick Foley. Mikey? Ding, 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 ding. Yay! (laughs) That's like the newlywed game. I like this. I know, right? And those were two complete... That'd be in the butt, Bob. (laughs) 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 Mike Freeland, let me ask you this, because these these guys are your guys, you know? Yes. Um, any idea what, which one of these guys, uh, at any time was the lowest in the PWI 500 and what that number was? Oh, wow. Um, 
the lowest in the PWI 500. Yes. I never even paid attention, but I gotta say it's me. <laughs> I would say, oh God, this is this is tough. Confident, aren't we, Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna throw Mikey. Um, if you get it within like 20, I think you get credit. All right, let me see here. Now, Jerry actually finished one year at number 29. Wow. Oh, yeah. 2003. What a work. Oh, that was work. TNA. That was when you were in TNA. <laughs> Let's see here. So I'll go with PWI 500. I'll go. What year are we talking here? I, I will. And the very same year that Jerry Lynn was rated so high in 2003, Mikey Ripreck had this position okay. in, in 2003 as well. Hmm. This is fascinating. 94. Right here. 459. Oh, I was going to say 489. I wasn't working that much then. Nah, they just, they don't know. You know, it's PWI. What are you going to do? So are you guys enjoying podcasting, Mikey? I was told I just found that I was ranked 490 something. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say 450 something, but you're my friend. R ruin the rest of my night. <laughs> Did I really suck that bad in 2003? Well, I think um, they just weren't clued into the Mikey Whipwreck magic at that time. I was in the offices one time when they were do in the process of putting together that list. And there is no rhyme or reason to it. There's no scientific research or anything. Well, these are the people that gave 911 the Rookie of the Year in 94. Wow. Instead of me or Triple H. But you won the Wrestling Observer Rookie of the Year in 1994. That's why I have no job to this day. <laughs> Because <laughs> Hunter came real? in second. Hunter's holding that grudge. Oh, wow! That, that's why. So that is a good. That is a good question. Are you guys enjoying the podcasting? Because I know, I know different feelings back and forth. I know you guys enjoy it as kind of a release. But what's your thought now that you guys are doing it? I just can't wait to to start doing that when I can quit my regular job. If I do someday. Actually, I want to try and get my hours changed is what I want to do. Well, it sounds like Jerry's loving it. That's what I'm, that's what I'm <laughs> I am. No, I, I do. I have fun with it. If I wasn't having fun, I wouldn't do it. But I usually when we do it at night, I am dead tired because I get up at 3.30 in the morning. So, but like I said, if I wasn't having fun, I wouldn't even do it. I do it because Jerry asked me to do it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I noticed when I work with, you know, working with Russo or even other guys I've interviewed, sometimes it's just like, guys, I just don't want to talk about this shit anymore. Like when I'm talking to you about ECW 20 years ago, you know, Mikey and Jerry, is this, is it something your guys just like, God, I, I'm done talking about it? Or is it still fun to kind of explore those days a little bit? I love wrestling. I'll talk about it. Even a lot of fans will say, I know you hear this all the time or, or, I know you really don't want to talk about wrestling, but I, st I still love wrestling. I'll talk about it. I think the thing that makes, you know, the show successful is that you got two guys, Jerry and Mikey, who are, who are really good buddies and they're fun to just sit back and listen to. Sometimes I'll just sit back here and just let them drive. And it's so entertaining. And then we mix in things that aren't just wrestling, like what's going on in their lives or what kind of beer is somebody drinking or when Mikey got schnockered at Ozfest or there, there's so many layers to what this 
whole thing brings to it. So there are some episodes, yeah, we talk heavy on wrestling, and then there's some episodes where we barely touch upon it. So I think the more we are able to work in other things, I think it does keep it fresh for the guys as well. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, like Mikey and I, I think we've mentioned this before, even when we're on the phone at home, you know, just talking on the phone, we hardly ever talk about wrestling. Yeah, very rarely. It's usually just everyday family life. So I think that's always the struggle with guys such as yourselves. You know, when you do the podcasting, there's much more to your life than wrestling, even though you love wrestling. But the fans, a lot of times, just want to hear wrestling. But at the same time, you you are people, full-rounded individuals who have lives. You want to share that, and you don't necessarily want to be just defined as just this ex-wrestler. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think the people they kind of like to, they kind of like peeking behind the curtain to our personal lives. So I, th- I think they kind of dig it. Yeah, we figure there's so many podcasts out there that all it is is just wrestling. And when we decided to do this, we just wanted it to be fun. We didn't want to be a couple critic uh, critics critiquing everybody. You know what I mean? Right. And and you can't you can't help the uh, the the bumps Mikey takes just in the kitchen and living room when we're recording. I mean, Stitch took your legs out. What? That was a couple months ago, and you took a nasty bump. And uh, it's just funny stuff that happens where you know somebody's downstairs or in the next room and they start yelling something. It's it's just interesting, and I think that when we did the episode with the wives, I think that was really cool because I don't know if anybody had done that previously. No, I don't think so. My friend told me he was listening to the podcast. He never listened to it before, and he binge-watched, like, listened to about five, six episodes. And one was the episode where I fell down, where I was leaning on the oh chair. He fell into the dog Oh, pen. my God. <laughs> he said, dude. Between that and Angel yelling in the background, he goes, you're Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> he is. <laughs> like, great. It's happening. Life is imitating art. Now, you guys both like heavy music. Was that like something that tied you guys together when you guys worked together? Were you guys listening to music together? No, because Jerry at the time was listening to heavy, heavy, heavy. Right. Like, Jerry likes the death metal, right? Yeah. I'm, see, I'm not into all that. I'm more of like a... Sabbath, Ozzy, Megadeth. Well, I like everything. I don't, I, I, I like death. I like, you know, hardcore. Jeez. Wow. Well, I like death. Not death like my family. The other day, I, I, don't, I can't remember, it was Pam or Annabelle said, so who's your favorite serial killer? I'm like, what? I'm like, no. No one's supposed to have a, ser- a favorite serial killer. No. No, 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 come on. You know, is it Jeffrey Dahmer? Is it Ed Gein? Is it Ted Bundy? I'm like, you're not supposed to have a favorite serial killer. So. <clears throat> Apparently you are, Jerry. I was, I was about to say, Jerry, you got to get up with the times here. But, no, but, no, if, really. but, but if you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no, I like all different kinds of music. I like the blues. I like, you know, I like everything. But at the time there, I was really heavy into the hard, hard, hard stuff. It was good for venting frustration. Didn't you say you went to a concert with, uh, you and Brock went to a concert, Jerry? Yeah, it was, uh, it was like, um, it was at a bar in St. Paul. I think at the time it was called The Lab, and they had a lot of metal shows there. 
I'm trying to think. I think Mortician played that night, and maybe a Monomart. I can't remember all of them, but yeah, I asked Brock, I go, you want to go see a metal concert with me? And he says, yeah. And a friend of mine, he did sound there, and he also was in a death metal band called Demonicon, Anthony. And uh, the last time I saw him up in Minneapolis, he actually reminded me of this story. He says, yeah, I saw you come in the door, and I saw this big dude behind you, and he said, why does Jerry have a bodyguard? <laughs> Before he realized it was Brock. So... But do we do know, that? That was before they brought. I mean, right before they were bringing Brock up to the main roster, and we started working out together a little bit and hanging out here and there. Do either of you guys play an instrument, guitar, or anything like that? No, I wish. But I used to play guitar a little bit, but not. I haven't played in like thirty years now. How about you, Mike? Do you play music? He plays the skin I flute. Don't, I don't. <laughs> you son he of a bitch. Plays the organ. You. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not musically inclined. My wife actually plays uh, the clarinet very well, and my sister plays the violin very well. Wow. I, uh, yeah, I, I never got the the talent gene when it came to being musically inclined. I've always wanted to. And the funny thing about this is, one of my favorite artists is Phil Collins, and one of my good good friends. He's in a uh, in a band called Siege Lord. And uh, it's. I told him, I said, I want you to show me how to play that little drum solo that Phil Collins plays in the middle of that song. I said, I'll do anything. I'll practice the hell until I can do that. So, but no, I never, I don't have the, the music bug, but I sure as hell love listening to it and listen to the people who can make it. I was in 7-Eleven the other day and uh, that song was on the radio. You could hear it overhead. And I put down my coffee to play the drum fill in the air. Nice. Because you have to, you have to. That is so perfect. I mean, man. What what is your favorite Phil Collins song, Mike? Well, I mean, I love In the Air Tonight. I mean, speaking of which, um wow, let me think of some other ones. Sue Studio is on fire. Sue Studio <laughs> yes. is on fire. Oh, yes. Sue Studio. What's the one they was it a Phil Collins song they played in that uh, American Psycho when he was No, that, that was Huey was, Lewis. Oh, that was Huey yeah, Lewis. Yeah, that was Huey Lewis. Square. News, yeah. Was it Hip to be Square? I love that scene. It's a good movie. It's an right. underrated movie. Speaking, you know, coming from someone with, who doesn't have a favorite serial killer. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> Mikey doesn't like Lionel Richie. We've, we've gone over this before. Oh, fuck that guy. See, I don't even know why. I don't even what? know why. You have, more, you have more animosity towards Lionel Richie than I think anyone we've ever talked about. I didn't have animosity towards... Lana Richie, but you were getting all into it. I'm like, I just can't. Ooh, he's got feeling, and he's got the song with one of the greatest swells in it. Truly, oh God, yeah, yeah, that's great. Have Have you guys all seen the Hello video, the Lionel Richie yes. Hello video, where he falls in love with the blind girl, or the blind girl they fall in love somehow <laughs> while he's teaching her art. And then at the end of it, she has like this uh, bust that she's made out of clay, and she goes, "It." I think of you, and the big reveal is supposed to look like Lionel Richie, but it doesn't fucking look like Lionel Richie at all. <laughs> so that shit doesn't work at all. And you, so Did you're just like, well, well, it's love. She's blind. It's fine. You know? It didn't come off as comedic, did it? No, no, but it's oh, supposed to be. Apparently this, it did. This big moment, this big moment where she reveals, this is what I think of when I, when I think of you. And it's supposed to look like him, like, oh, my God, like, that's the big, and it's just the worst thing you've ever seen. It's fantastic. Well. 
So Jerry, are you seeing any, do you see, you do work with AEW and, but do you see any similarities between the kind of outlaw grassroots nature of the AEW and ECW? Of course, of course, there's a million differences. You know, we talked earlier about the locker room. It's a whole different professional atmosphere, but it seems to me like that grassroots thing is catching a little bit of what ECW had. Are you seeing that at all? Well, I think the main thing is they're going to let the the guys have a lot of freedom to do what they do and, you know, paint their picture in the ring. So I think that's the biggest part of it. Instead of holding people down and holding them back, you know, politically also, but they're just going to, you know, they're going to sign guys that they think are great and let them go out there and do what they do. Generally, you guys think it's better to let wrestlers uh, use their creativity than it is to um, plan out what you want them to do for your product? Oh, yeah. If I was booker of a company, I would go around and ask every single wrestler, who do you enjoy working with? Who would you love to be in an angle with? I think you'd get the best results out of it. And I'd ask them, too, you got any ideas for an angle, you know? Because everyone looks at everything at a little different way. How much did having the big belt in ECW mean to you, uh, Mikey, when you first got it? Because you were so young and it was such a underdog thing. Was it a big deal for you to, to carry around that belt? Yeah, it was cool. It was definitely cool. But <laughs> when I went home, nobody gave a shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, was I... cool. it was cool for when I was at the building and the fans were there, but... The boys, nobody cared. When I got home, nobody cared. I didn't really stand out in a crowd so I could walk around and not be noticed. So nobody, nobody really knew. But it was definitely cool. I mean, looking back, I'm like, oh, I did some pretty cool things. Now, when was the last time you saw that actual belt, Mikey? That, oh, that you held? Geez. Probably before they got the... It was in the ECW school for a while. I guess 2000, maybe? Well, I'll have you know, it's in good shape and good hands. And um, yeah, it's in, it's in good hands. And I think they used it at StarCast uh, to take pictures with Raven. I think Raven took pictures with it. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So the belt is still around. And uh, it's an interesting belt, right? Did, did it have the paint on it when you were there? Because uh, I know it right now, it, I think someone touched it up or something like that. Do you know anything about that? No, but it had the paint. And like the Sandman's kid put like, Jewels on it, like plastic right. jewels. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least he didn't do what Annabelle did to mine. When I had the Ring of Honor belt, the first time I brought it home, I walk in the door, I take the belt out of my bag, I throw it on the couch, and I go into the bedroom to unload all my dirty laundry, and I come back out in the living room, and Annabelle's got the belt on the living room floor, and she's walking back and forth across it going, look at my bridge, look at my bridge. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I have a lot of friends that are, as you know, uh, belt dorks, you know. I don't, I, my son has a couple, um, like he has an old NWA one, Dome Globe, and then he has an old uh, Big Gold, you know, like, um, you know, commemorative ones. But there are guys who are very, very into these, uh, into these belts. And I have friends that own, maybe 50 belts that they Jeez. paid top dollar for. Yeah. It's well, crazy. you'll see at WrestleCon, you'll see these guys walking around with suitcases of just belts. And they, oh, you, you got to sign this belt and you got to sign that belt. 
Don't touch this belt because you didn't hold this belt. You're not signing this one. Jesus. <laughs> my friend, uh, my friend Cassio, who's one of Conrad's good friends, his wife was there with us in uh, StarCast, and she pokes him on the shoulder. And she goes, are they all champions? And we're like, he's like, what are you talking about? Are they all champions? He's like, what do you mean? He goes, she goes, all these people carrying the belts, are they all champions? Oh. <laughs> I oh, have wow. been, I have wrestled on an indie show where every match, everyone had a belt. Oh, there geez. were belts up. Oh, it was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. Every match had belts. <laughs> well, you know, who, you know who should have a belt? Who? That superhuman kid. Oh, dude. oh the whole. Just for oh, yes. Fuck yes. that shit. <laughs> Jerry, are I you in the loop on superhuman? Don't try this at home. I hope you like it. I Woo-hoo. love that guy. <laughs> this, this fucking guy, as of today. <laughs> what the fuck? Has 30,000 followers on Twitter. I guess Dude, I got to start throwing myself on stuff, huh? In like three days, I'm going, I throw myself on stuff for 20 years and no one gave a fuck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, Mikey, you oh. should make videos mocking him, but it's just you getting in and out of your bed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think I won't do it. Chuggalos yep. and chigalettes. Fuck this and shit. <laughs> and you slowly descend into your bed. <laughs> Oh, and God. don't forget this shit the, and, then, and then lay back down. <laughs> but at the same time, like, it's not that much different from the stuff you guys did on a daily basis. Like, for a fan like me or Mike, who've, I mean, I've, I've never taken a bump in my life, but you guys are jumping off high services, landing on, you know, two by eights or whatever the ring's made out of. It's not that much more. Uh, da- I mean, it's you guys damage your body just as much on a daily basis, right? I mean, do you when you train guys, do you encourage them to take less bumps early in their career, and and do you like that bump card idea where you know make them count when you have to do them? Yes, I teach them to. I mean, we'll do the basic back bumps all the time, but I say, well, you want to start doing more advanced stuff, you know, save it, save it for what it means something. Yeah, I tell them, be choosy about what moves you're going to want to do over and over and over because, like, guys who do shooting star presses and moonsaults usually end up getting knee surgeries. And guys like me, who landed on your butt 10,000 times, need to get hips replaced. So you got to be kind of picky. And, and the danger in that is, you know, when I was at StarCast, I was giving rides to people. So I gave a ride to Psychosis. And we were talking, and... um you know, I was saying, does he still do the leg drop? Because he was talking about his surgeries. And he did that huge leg drop off the top rope. Yep. I go, you know, and we were talking. I'm like, man, you just wrestle, show your show your mask. People like you, you know? <laughs> and he's like, no, I get there. And they say, we need to see the finish, man. We need to see the finish. And so he feels obligated to give him that finish every time, even though he's all beat up. But it goes to what Jerry said or about, um, or I think Mikey said about, be careful about what move you pick because you're going to be doing it for the rest of your career. See, I went and started doing the stunner off the top. And it seemed like a good idea at the time. And then it really started to fucking hurt. <laughs> so, I, so at that point, I said, all right, well, maybe I could do it from the ground. But I don't want to do it just like Steve, which is kick and stunner. I tried to get into it uh, different ways to make it kind of cool, to take away from the fact that it wasn't off the top rope. But every now and then, they'd say, hey, could you do it off the top? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure 
Yeah, the first <laughs> 10 years, I would do the top rope leg drop. Then the next five years, I ah, will do it from the second rope. Then after that, ah, let's just do it from the mat. But even Hogan, you know, has had those hip problems that you've had, Jerry, because of, uh, um, you know, just that leg drop. And he never, he never climbed a turnbuckle. Right. Well, he was, you know, over 300 pounds, too. If he was doing that 300 days a year. Yeah. Sometimes, a, sometimes, sometimes two shows a day. Oh, they would work, I don't know how many weeks straight with double shots on Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then be home for a few days and then go do it again. That's insane. Yeah, there's a pro wrestling website. I, I forget what it is, but there's one, history of WWE, I think, dot com, where they have the whole road records. And, you know, there are times in the 80s they're running three, three different crews. And so they're doing three Sundays, they're doing three Fridays and then Hogan's, you know, um, doing the TV tapings where they do like, you know, a bunch of segments like the entire Orndorff Hogan segment or or feud took place over one taping, you know, everything that happened. So it's amazing how much they were on the road, how much they were working back then. Yeah, it was a brutal schedule. Do you think you could take any of those guys from the WWF back in the time in the day and then drop them into ECW in the the heat of it and they would have still gotten over? Or do you feel like that was two just conflicting styles and ways to present the product? Yeah. Here's the thing. They used to, they used to shit on Ric Flair, right? I guarantee you, if Ric Flair had walked in the building, they'd all shit their pants. Oh, I agree. So as, as much as they like to say, oh, you know, Shane was going on the, the Dick Flair and ECW fans were shitting on Rick. If he had walked in the building, it would have been an, he oh my gotten, god. He would have gotten an ovation like nobody else. And can you imagine a Ric Flair Tommy Dreamer match? You know what I'm saying? How great would that have been in the ECW arena? I always said Piper would have fit too. Yeah. Well, wasn't the Ultimate Warrior at least in some type of discussion at some point in time after he had a falling out with the WWE to come over, but just, I guess, the numbers just didn't line up? I heard that. Do you think that... I'd have put put him over. You would have worked a program with him? I'd have made the Warrior look like a million bucks. I would have wanted to hear dueling promos. (laughs) (laughs) it's It's an amazing thing, right? Because by all accounts, Warrior's terrible to work with. By all accounts, he's someone who didn't get it on any level socially or in the ring. But it'd be interesting to see what he would do with a with a Mikey or even Jerry. You know, Jerry at his at his height uh, in ECW against a Warrior. Like I, I'm not even sure what that would look like. But see, people say that I think he got it fine. He had his character down to a T. He knew what he could do in the ring, and that's what he did. But wouldn't you agree, Mikey? He was he was pretty damn limited. Yeah, but so what? Do you think that caught up? He, still, he still got over, still made a lot of money. I think personally, what killed him when he won the belt in WWF in 1990 is when they changed him. Right after he won the belt, they started putting his hair up like in like major hairspray, up, up like like quaff on his head. They changed his face <laughs> paint to put a little warrior symbol on, symbol on his cheek. They they tried to make him more of a a person instead of just being the ultimate warrior and me as a fan that's what I'm like eh eh this is not the ultimate warrior this is 
something else. Why do you think they did that? Why do you think they started to tweak some things once they put him on there? Because he's the face of the product, and they right. might have to tone it down or soften it a little bit. They had to make him more relatable. Correct. So he can make appearances on TV and, and things like that. Because I'm. But you see him on Re- you saw him on Regis and Kathy Lee, right? Right. Uh, all cute and everything else. I want to see him like on the Arsenio Hall, Arsenio Hall show where he's throwing the couch and everything else. Or he's just batshit nuts. That's the ultimate warrior I wanted to see. Right. Jerry, do you think you would have had um, trouble uh, pulling a great match or a great moment out of Warrior? Do you think he was too limited? I I don't know. I'm sure I would have had to adapt a lot of what I do, you know. But I would have tried to do, you know. I don't know. That's a tough one. Randy Savage did it. Randy worked he had a great his ass match. off. He had a great match with the Warrior. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a short list, though, right? Oh, it's definitely it's, it's it's definitely a short list. Yeah. So, Jerry, you know, since I don't get every chance to talk to a legend like you guys, I'm going to ask questions I've always wanted to know. That Minnesota area where you came from, you know, that small area, and even a smaller microcosm is Eddie Sharkey. It, no, there's no place where so many wrestlers have come through in the world than Eddie Sharkey. Is it something about the area or something about Mr. Sharkey or the people that worked for him or the culture? What is it about that Minnesota area? I, I couldn't tell you. Maybe it's because uh, they're starving for entertainment up there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and the AWA covered a lot of territory, too. And when we worked for Eddie, he would get bot shows in North Dakota, South Dakota, you know, northern Minnesota, Iowa. I mean, we work shows all over the whole Midwest. But I think it's because there's not a lot of big metropolitan areas up there, and there's so many smaller towns, and people are starving for entertainment. So wrestling was always a hotbed up there. So growing up, were you an AWA guy? Oh, yeah. I was adopted when I was six, and that's when I first saw wrestling, and I was hooked ever since. Now, granted, I never thought I was going to do it. I never grew up saying, I'm going to be a wrestler someday, because back then everyone was a bunch of monsters. But I always loved it. And then in the 80s, when we finally got cable, then I, it was crazy. You could watch like 20 hours of wrestling a week. I thought you could see all the territories when they were hot. We could see Portland. You could see World Class, NWA. You had Florida, Georgia. You had all these other territory so i watched whatever i could get my hands on and what did you grow up watching mikey wwf you grew up in philly long island the the first thing i remember seeing was sergeant slaughter versus the iron sheik in a boot camp match from madison square garden i don't know if it was on tv or was it a videotape or what but that's the first thing i saw when our wrestling fanship like spans the exact same area, Mikey, because I'm the exact oh, really? same age as you. And that's that. And that particular feud was the, one of the first I ever saw. And also, uh, Backlund going to the back to get Hogan um, to uh, rescue him against the Samoans, you know, about that same time. So that's okay. uh, for, for me, my golden age, too. Same for you. Yeah, but I watched that well, and then I, I kind of old. I kind of <laughs> stopped watching for a little while. And then I remember watching an interview before WrestleMania 2 with King Kong Bundy biting the head off the Hulk Hogan doll 
the old rubber LJN ones. <laughs> Going, holy shit! Look at this. This is crazy. <laughs> and then, and then I remember then, then I remember watching uh, Steamboat get the the Savage dropping the bell on Steamboat's throat. And I, I, I thought it was like the real thing. They were like, oh my God, this Randy Savage guy is awesome. And then as, it, just, it just took off. You know, as, just, as, as smaller guys who wanted to be wrestlers, who did you guys look up to? Like Jerry, old, you, old, old, AWA, old. I mean, you had, there, I mean, Greg well, Gagne. I mean, <laughs> this is about it, you know? Well, I had, you know, my favorites were like Baron Von Roski and The Crusher and Mad Dog Vashon and those guys. But uh, when I finally got to see Cable, I and I got to see you know some of those smaller guys and more action. One of my favorites was always Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. He's great. And how about you, Mikey? Who was your guy back in the day? Randy Savage. Randy Savage was the guy. And then I liked the Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> and then the Ultimate Warrior came in, Mister Perfect. And Marty Jannetty. Marty's the fucking best. Marty oh, is amazing. I love oh, Marty yeah. Jannetty. I did four so hours with cool. him. I I did the Marty Jannetty epic saga of Marty Jannetty, like four hours sitting with him, interviewing him. He's the most amazing. He's my favorite person in the world. He's awesome, Marty. I love Marty. I only got to work him one time. And it was like a battle royal. It came down to meeting him at the end. But I just, uh, I tell you what. Just, man, he was so good. He was. I remember watching uh, him and Sean when they were the Midnight Rockers and their feud with uh, Playboy Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. It was Hell a great yes. feud. There was some blood in that match, huh? Oh, God. They had some blood baths. It was crazy. Matt, what are some other ways people can get in touch with you if they'd like to interact with you on social media? Well, definitely uh, check out Total Engagement with Matt Kuhn. It's on the MLW Radio Network. Partner with WrestleZone. And uh, you can, any podcast app that you get. Of course, um, check me out, you know, talk to me on Twitter. I'm easily triggered because I worked with Russo for so long. And uh, I'm at Matt Kuhn Music or the show itself at Matt Kuhn TE. And I can't say how much of an honor it's been to be here. I hope I didn't talk too much. No. I just love the opportunity to talk to Jerry and Mikey and yourself. Um, uh, Mike. No, it's, well, it's, it's a pleasure thanks for being here, Matt. Yeah, we appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. It's been a blast. Been and, uh, and guys definitely check out, like I said, total engagement with Matt Coon, hit him up on social media, give him a follow. He is a great, great follow. How, where do you get the shirts from front row material? How do you get them? So if you go to pro wrestling tees, you can go ahead in their search bar. You can go ahead and find Mikey's stuff. You type in Mikey Whipwreck. Same thing if you do Jerry Lynn, or you can type in front row material. We have our originals right there. Or if you'd like to go to some more new shirts that have been designed by the Halifax Matt, it's shop.spreadshirt forward slash FRM pod. And you can go ahead and have that. I have it on my uh, Twitter main page. I tweet it out as well. A lot of really, really cool shirts that people have bought. We have the, uh, the Whipwreck and Lynn which looks like the Beavis and Butthead logo, which is really cool. Um, we just came out with a new one. I should say Matt designed it. It's really good. It's a, a humble you old country style or old country way with the Iron Sheik and Brighton Blair. So those are where you can get that stuff if you are so inclined. Good, good deal. Guys, I highly recommend, like I said before, listening to Matt. Matt. 
follow him. If you'd like to follow the boys, you can follow Mikey Whipwreck at Mikey Whipwreck underscore Jerry Lynn at It's Jerry Lynn, the main show at FRM Pod. Or if you're so inclined to follow me, be more than happy to interact with you. I am at Mike Freeland. Like I said, you know where to get the shirts. Mikey, you're still doing the Etch-a-Sketch autographs. Is that correct? Nice. I got my own. Now, I didn't get it for free. I got it for a discount. But, uh, Mikey, are you still? I gave you, you the friend an- coupon. You did give me the – I was going to mention that. You gave me the coupon. So, uh, by all means, ProWrestlingTees.com. Use the coupon and uh, get yourself a shirt. All right, that's going to do it. Jerry's already went to bed. I don't know what the hell's going on. Didn't even say goodbye to our guest. Did he say goodbye to you, Matt? He did. Okay. He did. Good, good job paying attention, Mike. I'm I'm trying. I'm, I'm telling I, you. We'll get, you better watch your step for it, but you'll be replaced. I was just going to say, I got the guy who could replace me right here. I got to be really careful. He's on the air. I mean, there's been talk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. For our for our guest Matt Coon, for the uh, gone to bed Jerry Lynn, and for Mikey Whipwreck, I'm Mike Freeland. We will catch you next week on Front Row Material. Well, you might not catch us next week. The world of MLW Radio never stops. 